In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, the Word of God says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. May we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together, to open your word, to read it. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word, and I pray that you bless the assembly of your people, whether it's in person or in the parking lot, or whether it's via Facebook or dial-up. God, we thank you for uh, building a church here in this community that we can that we can obligate ourselves to. Lord, I pray that you'd receive honor and glory for all that's said and done here this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd quiet my soul and keep me from distraction. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to deliver the message that you would want delivered this morning. And we thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when our vision of God is like the prophet Isaiah's, that is high and lifted up, everything else will be put in its proper perspective. And I'd like to pose a question to us this morning. What is your vision of God? What is your vision of God? Our vision of God will, will put into practice or put into perspective, rather, everything else that we encounter in life. Uh, number one, uh, if you're taking notes, the first point would be this, that our vision of God will determine how we view everything. And underline that word view if you're writing that down. Our vision of God will determine how we view everything else. Uh, it will determine how we view life. Uh, I thought of what Isaiah said there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. He starts off this chapter with, in the year, in the year. And I think about uh, how we calculate the years. Uh, we celebrate birthdays. Uh, as a matter of fact, I forgot to do that this morning. And so right now, let me take a pause and wish Penny Shelton a happy birthday. Her birthday is on May the 18th. That's tomorrow. And then Helen McCallum. Helen, I hope you'll have a happy birthday as well. Her birthday is on the 20th of May, and I guess that would be Wednesday. And so, wish these a happy birthday. Uh, but to, it, it, I guess that just fits right along with the theme of how we think of our lives in terms of years. And, and how, I think it's interesting how Isaiah started this chapter. He said, in the year. And I, I, when I saw that, I, I thought about what the sweet psalmist of Israel said in Psalm chapter 90. And you can take your Bibles and turn there and and follow along with me if you like, but in Psalm chapter 90 and verse number 10, the word of God says there are the days of our years. You see that again. We see that reference to our years. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. And we would uh, have to imagine that as we get older. I, I've experienced a little bit of this. I remember my father telling me one time, the most exciting thing about getting old is when you wake up in the morning, you don't know what's going to hurt. Something new hurts every day. And I think that's what's being communicated there when it says, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. But it just reminds us of how we calculate our years. And our vision of God will, will help us determine how we view life. Now, now, God doesn't view life in the, in the term of years. I think that's interesting uh, that he makes reference to it. And, and we, as human beings, we, we think of time as in the term of terms of years. But I think it's interesting in Psalm chapter 90, verse number 12, 
that the psalmist is now speaking to God again. He says, so teach us to number our days. Now, we number our years. We just mentioned a moment ago these two birthdays. Another year has passed uh, for uh, these two ladies. Uh, but the Lord teaches us, God teaches us to number our days. The Word of God instructs us. So teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I uh, don't uh, know if I've ever uh, told everybody this, but I know some of you know that uh, several years ago, I started calculating the number of days until I made it to three score years and 10. That's 70 years old. And so I thought, well, the Bible's instruction is to number my days until three score years and 10, that maybe I should do that. And so every day in my journal, I start, I, I count down from, uh, I started in the 10,000s and I went into the 9,000s and the 8,000s. And then just this morning, I wrote down in my journal, it's only 7,426 days until I turn three score years and 10. And then I think at that point, according to what the Bible instructs us there in Psalm chapter 90, then you start counting up. And so some of you in the church have started to count up and praise the Lord for that. And uh, because of the grace of God that you've been blessed that way. Uh, but the, 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 the word of God teaches us to think of our, our lives differently than than we might think of our lives, than human nature might cause us to think of our lives. I think that we're truly blessed to live in a nation that has such an advanced medical science, uh, that along with a health-conscious uh, culture, I, I think has made reaching the three-score year and 10 mark a very, almost, almost a non-issue. I mean, uh, 70 years old is, is a lot younger than, even in my lifetime, is a lot younger than it used to be. So, so the fact that we have all this wonderful medical science and this fact that we live in such a health conscious culture has made living to that three score year and 10 mark kind of a non-issue. In fact, by God's grace, making it to four score years, that's 80, is a very real prospect for many. And there's several in the church that have uh, crossed that threshold and uh, living very happily and healthy lives. And uh, we thank God for that. But the psalmist, I really think here that the psalmist had, of course, under the divine inspiration of God, has the, the human condition quite accurate. Uh, even at that, even at the fact that life is three score years and 10, and if by reason of strength, four score years, and God gives us long lives, there's many people that make it well past that three score year and 10 mark. But even at that, that amount of time is just a speck, a speck on the timeline of the timeless one. If we could somehow represent eternity on a timeline, it would be an impossibility. But if we could, we did our best to represent eternity on a timeline. We could draw the beginning of the line way down on the end of the building on one side. And we might draw a line across the whole building all the way down to this other side where we are uh, standing in front of the window here. And if that, if that line was to somehow, in a, in a poor way, represent the timeline of eternity, and we think about the, the three-score year and ten, or even four-score years on that, on that line that represents eternity, you wouldn't even be able to see it, would you? And life that is lived to its fullest as a human being, three-score years and ten, or four-score years, or 90 or 100 years old, past the century mark, even that is just a speck on the timeline of the timeless one. 
The Heavenly Father laid the foundation for life by giving mankind two things. And I'd like to note them this morning, two things. First of all, God gave to mankind responsibility. He was placed in the Garden of Eden, if you were to look at Genesis 2.15, to dress it and to keep it. And that was God's responsibility that God gave to man. And then God gave the commandment concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that man was not to eat of that tree. He could have any other trees of the garden, but that tree he couldn't eat of that. And with that, God gave man an opportunity. God gave man a responsibility by putting him into the garden to dress it and keep it. But God gave mankind the opportunity by giving commandment concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every person who has a relationship with God, and by the way, there's only one way to have that. There's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is to place your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone as your only hope of that relationship with God in time as well as for eternity. And any person who has that relationship with God, who is a child of God, who knows for sure that when they die, they'll be in his presence. There's been a time in their life when they've trusted in Christ alone. I'm trying to say this various different ways so we understand. But every person who's placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has a responsibility to serve and to honor God. We've talked about that some in weeks past. We talked about this thing of church attendance. And, and when we get upset about church attendance because it's been removed from, uh, from the list of things that we're allowed to do, we need to be sure that, that our motive is right behind that, that it's not about our religion, that it's not about our rights, but it's about our responsibility. Because God has given every child of God, every person that's in a relationship with him, a responsibility uh, to serve and honor God. And by the way, uh, each and every child of God will be held accountable, accountable for that responsibility. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, among other places, that we will all... Give account. We'll all give account. Now, beside that, beside that responsibility, just like God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden, we have an opportunity, and we've been given an opportunity to love and obey God of our own free will. And, and that is exactly what God gave to mankind in the Garden of Eden. He gave them responsibility to keep the garden and dress it, but he gave them opportunity by giving commandment concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't want us to be automatons or robots that uh, would worship him because that's the way we were programmed. Uh, uh, that's what we were programmed to do. No, God left us with a free will and choice. And so God, when he laid the foundation of life, gave us two things. He gave us responsibility for which we'll be accountable. And then he also gives us opportunity, and that is to love him and obey him of our own free will. And so as we consider that, we recognize that our view of God is going to determine how we view our lives. It will determine what we believe the responsibilities of our lives are. We will view, uh, as we view God, it will determine how we view the opportunity of our lives, the free, how do we exercise our free will and choice. And so our vision of God will, first of all, determine how we view life. Second of all, our vision of God will determine how we view sin. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5. And what Isaiah is seeing here is first verse, he's seeing God high and lifted up. And the word of God says that the Lord sitting upon a throne uh, in his train filled the temple. Now, I think some of our folks know, maybe not everybody knows, maybe if you're listening this morning, you didn't know, but that symbology, that picture of the, the train filling the temple, the king in his kingly robe, his train is what that's speaking of. And what Isaiah is seeing here, he's seeing the Lord. He's seeing the Lord and his kingly guard in a train that fills the temple. And in the days when kings ruled the earth, uh, when a king would conquer another king, he would cut off the hem of that king's garment. That hem uh, contained uh, the crest, perhaps you might call it, of that, of that king's family. And the conquering king would cut off the crest of the conquered king and he would sew it to his own train. And so the idea is that the train, the kingly guard, the longer it was, the more conquering the king. Well, we see the Lord Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. There, there is no higher king. There is no more conquering king than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his train fills the temple. And so this is what Isaiah is saying. He's seeing God high and lifted up. In verse number five, now in perspective as Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. He sees himself, and here's what he says. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so our vision of God will determine how we view sin. A low view of sin may be evidenced by things such as a, a lack of conviction, about sins, a little or no motivation to obey the word of God it may result in an absence of a shame from inappropriateness. And I, I think that's probably one of the things that if you've lived any amount of time, you recognize that there just doesn't seem to be any awareness of appropriateness in people's lives anymore. Even in my short lifetime, I look at the styles and I look at the, the things that people would not dare even even just moral people would not dare to do 20 years ago. Now it's, now it's common practice. You know, uh, they, they, it just amazes me. We've lost our blush. Why is that? Because we, we have a low view of God. A low view of God may result in carelessness concerning things that are irreverent toward a holy and righteous God. And, and we don't blush and we don't cringe when we hear God's name used in vain, for example, or, or we're watching some show and it's irreverent towards God, or we make light of the things of God. We make fun of the things of God, you know? And that's what happens when we get a low view of God. When we have a low view of God, we reverse things and we change the creator who created us in his image into a God that fits into ours. You see, that's what I'm talking about. When we have a low view of God, we... We reverse things. We change the creator that created us in his image into an image that fits better into ours. And I would say that there's many Christians that I've met that are in that category. You're hard pressed to find a person in the United States of America, whether that's out west here or down south or uh, in the Midwest. You're, you're hard pressed to find a person uh, that, that uh, says, no, I don't believe in Jesus. Or there's never been a time in my life when I've asked Jesus to save me. Most people Say, I do that all the time. And that's a, that's a reason for concern because 
Jesus died once for all, and once is all it takes. And so you've got to be mindful of that as we talk to people that not everybody who names the name of Christ is a child of God. And it's, it's born out of a, a, a culture, I, I guess, that, that at least has spiritual interests. I believe we live in a post-Christian era, but, but there's still that culture in America. But people in America, Christians in America, they want the benefits of salvation without any of the responsibility. And so what we do, we get a very low view of God. And, and what we do then is we begin to change the image of the creator that created us in his image into a God that fits into ours, a God that accepts our sins, a God that, that overlooks our, uh, our, the little things that we do, what we might even call them non-essential things. But that's what happens when we have a low view of God. And when we see God, we don't see him high and lifted up, and, and we don't see ourselves as, as we ought to see ourselves. You know, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and, and what does it say? Come short of the glory of God. And when we have a short view of God, when we have a low view of God, it brings God down to our level, and, and we begin to believe that we measure up. I measure up okay with God, when the fact is we don't. Ladies and gentlemen, saved or unsaved, I hope that today we'll be reminded that we'll get a proper view of God. We'll see God high and lifted up, and we'll be reminded of how evil we are. We have got to see ourselves as evil. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I've had people in recent months tell me as I've preached the word of God and challenged them to be sure that they're in compliance with God's word. I've had people, Christian people, tell me, listen, I'm not carnal. Well, not even the apostle Paul would say that. He said exactly the opposite. He said, I am carnal, sold under sin. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we have got to have a view of God that leaves us in the same position as Isaiah. We find Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5, where when we view God, we say, woe is me. And if you're listening or watching this morning, you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. You need that in your life. You need to get a, a view of God that brings you to the point where you recognize, woe is me, for I am a, a soul undone before a holy and righteous God. I'm a man of unclean lips and an unclean generation. May God help us this morning to view life and to view our sin with a proper perspective with God. You know, other people are not our standard. And I think that's the problem in Christianity sometimes. Is that we, when we set our standard, we look at the world and we say, well, we're not that bad. And we set ourselves a certain distance from the world and we justify ourselves because of that. And we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And the Bible says that's not wise. In the letter to the Corinthians. When we make a comparison of ourselves to anything or anybody, it ought to be the God that created us into his image. And we ought to look to that God that created us in his image and, and see him high and lifted up and then recognize that we've wandered a long way from his image. And we've brought him down to our level. We took him out of his rightful place and come short of the glory of God. And so our vision of God will help us how we 
view sin. It'll determine how we view sin. Our vision of God will help determine how we view death. It's interesting to me how a pandemic will help people to consider death a little bit more. Most people's thoughts about death are superficial or peripheral. And by that, I mean that we we all know death is coming. We know that the word of God says it is appointed unto men once to die. I was talking to my neighbor months ago. And I was asking how her mother was and, and so forth. And, and we got into that conversation. And, and she, uh, who is not a, you know, she's not a faithful, I'd say, to church. I know she has a background in a different religion. But she brought up that verse. You know, it's appointed unto men once to die. And the, the problem is when we view death without having a, a proper view of God, we, we view death peripherally. We know it's coming if the Lord should tarry his return. We know that it's coming. We know what the word of God says that it's appointed unto men once to die. We, we know it's coming, coming, but we just don't ever imagine that death is going to come so soon or so quickly. What do we say so often when somebody steps from time into eternity? It was so unexpected. I mean, even when it was expected, it was it, it never is expected, you know? It's because our view of death is peripheral. We know it's coming, but we don't look at death in the right way. A high view of God will change our superficial view of death into an imminent one. For example, when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, he became very aware of his mortality. He said, woe is me. And that communicates with it the idea of, oh, my goodness, I'm a dead man. When people have a proper view of God, Romans 6, 23 carries more weight when it says, for the wages of sin is death. When somebody views God high and lifted up and they see themselves in comparison to that, they see their life, they see their sin, then they begin to view death in a very different way. It's no longer peripheral, it becomes very eminent. I think that when the pandemic uh, started to spread, uh, people began to think of death in a less peripheral way. When we were told that, what was it, 90 million Americans would come down with this coronavirus. And we haven't even scratched the surface of that, by the way. We haven't come close to that. We were lied to about that. And then we were told that a 2.2 million or more would die from this coronavirus, which, by the way, we haven't even scratched the surface there either. We've lost, There's been a lot of death, and we're sorry for that. We're sad for that. But we were lied to about all of that. But people began, I think we all began to think of death a, a little bit more imminently. And honestly, that's a, a more proper view of death in perspective with God. Now, we might say, well, that's awfully morbid or depressing to have an imminent view of death, to be going through life thinking, I could die right now. I could die today. And so some might think that that's an, a depressing or a, uh, a morbid thought. But I say this for the Christian, especially not so. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about an imminent view of death and how beneficial it is. Uh, for the lost person, it's beneficial because they'll come to faith in Christ. Uh, and by the way, as I say that, I want you to understand that Christianity in church is not about the benefit of the believer. Christianity in the church is about the glory of God. And so while I say that there are benefits uh, to the person that places their faith in Christ, when they have a proper view of God, they're going to view their death more imminently, and they're going to recognize their need for a Savior because they recognize that death separation is coming, and not just separation from time, but separation from God in eternity. And so that benefits, it is a benefit uh, for somebody to place their faith and trust in Christ as their only hope of salvation, right? There is a benefit there, and it, by the way, that glorifies God. And so we get the whole, the whole picture there. But for the believer, it's important for the believer to have an imminent view of death as well. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 53 through 55. For this corruptible, I want you to take and I want you to squeeze your own arms. Grab your shoulders. This is corruptible. Some of you are watching through the window as I'm doing it. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal put, must put on immortality. Paul's speaking to the believer here. He says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But it, it's not until we have an imminent view of death that we'll have the proper perspective of all of this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's a quote, by the way, of Hosea, the minor prophet, Hosea 13 and verse 14. And our vision of God will give us a perspective on death as an eminent feature of the Christian life, not as an ending, but a beginning, a transition from time into eternity in the very presence of God. And that's a good view to have of death. It really changes the way that we live. It helps us to narrow down, I, I think, what is important and as we've watched things unfold and as the as people have had less of a peripheral view of death and more imminent view of death with the pandemic that's been put in front of us and the restrictions that have been placed upon us, I think there's no denying that people have set aside some junk and, and even in the church it gives us opportunity to lay aside weights and, and, and besetting sins and, and, and figure out what's really important in our lives. What's really important? And the only way that we can really have that perspective is to have a right view of God and a right view of death. The clearer our vision of God, the clearer our understanding about life and about sin and about death. And our vision of God determines how we view everything else. Lastly, as we draw the message to a close this morning, the second point is our vision of God will determine how we do everything else. I would like for you to underline that word if you're taking notes. Our vision of God will determine how we do everything else. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 again. I know you'll have to make your way back there, and so I'll give you just a second to get through Isaiah chapter 6. And we're seeing how our vision of God will determine how we worship. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. The seraphim are always in connection with the worship of God. But one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. You know, a high view of God will lead us to God-centered worship that stirs the spirit of God in us. And not just the emotion of our souls. A true worship shows us who God is and, and who we are and will lead us to this conclusion, woe is me. You know, sometimes I feel bad as a pastor and it's in, you know, it's in my humanity, I guess. When I know that the Lord wants me to deliver a message that I know might leave a person feeling, woe is me. But, you know, that's where true worship ought to lead us. True worship ought to lead us to have a view of God and a view of ourselves that says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a, I'm a soul undone. True worship ought to leave us to a, a decision and a commitment. That's why we give an invitation at the end of the services. And our vision of God will, will determine how we worship God. Whenever you see somebody worshiping God, they're on their faces. And I think that's a good indication of a proper view of God and that proper view of God determining how we worship on our faces before God. It'll help us determine how we evangelize. When we worship a great God who's high and lifted up, we won't be able to help but to go talk about that great God to other people. And so a proper view of God, when we see God high and lifted up, we'll We'll, we'll want to go and talk about that great God, a, a warning to those that have not yet trusted in him and, a, and an encouragement of edifying to those who are saved and trying to live for him. We will change the way that we evangelize when we have a proper view of God. We'll want to carry the message of that great God to our community, our city, our our state, our nation, and to the world. And, and that's what's going to happen if we have a proper view of God. We're going to tie this in with Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 because as we saw see the story unfold, here's Isaiah. He has this vision of God. He sees God high and lifted up. He recognizes or sees himself uh, in perspective of that high and lifted up creator, the, the Almighty, the, the God of heaven. He says, woe is me, for I am a soul undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And then right after that, we see that uh, God is talking here. And in verse number eight, he said, I, I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. Do you see that? That having that proper view of God will determine how we worship. It'll determine how. We evangelize, and, and I'm going to tie this in here as well because it's more than just about evangelism. It's about discipleship. Our discipleship 
or our evangelism will result in the opportunity not just to uh, to to tell Christ uh, or to tell others about uh, the Savior, but to tell others about how that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all and how we ought to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so again, uh, the Lord says, I heard a, a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's going to go talk about that great God to a lost and dying world? Who's going to tell them uh, how to uh, how to grow in the grace and knowledge of that God? Not just about God, but to know that God. And, and Isaiah said again, here am I, send me. So a proper vision of God will help us determine how we worship, how we evangelize, how we disciple. It'll also help us to determine how we serve. Our discipleship will produce servants of Christ that are equipped for the work of the ministry. That's the purpose of the church. God has graced Liberty Lake Baptist Church with everything they need to teach believers how to live a Christ-centered life. God has equipped this church with everything that it needs to grow. And that evangelism is going to result in that responsibility to care for those newborn babes who need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and uh, and and then it allows us the opportunity to do this as well, to teach them how they ought to serve, not just in word, but we show them how to serve. Our discipleship will produce servants of Christ that are equipped for the work of the ministry. And here's the interesting thing. The ministry of the servants of Christ who uh, have a high view of God will lead right back to the first point, right back to a worship that stirs the spirit of God in us. You see, how we worship and evangelize and disciple and serve all begins with our vision of God and will practically come full circle. First, we have the right vision of God. We, uh, we, because of that correct vision of God, it determines how we worship. It determines how we evangelize. It determines how we disciple. And it determines how we serve. And then it goes right back to worship. And it goes round and round and round. And that's the way God intended for it to happen. It's not a linear thing. It's a, a, a circular thing. One is intended to feed the other. Let me explain it this way. Our worship, out of our worship will flow our evangelism. You see, when we learn of that great God, we'll want to tell of that great God. And out of our evangelism will flow our discipleship because you can't teach something to somebody who doesn't know the Lord or have a relationship with the Lord in the first place. So out of our worship will flow our evangelism. Out of evangelism will flow our discipleship. Out of, out of our discipleship will we'll grow our service. And out of our service will grow our worship. We'll strengthen our worship, and it just goes round and round and round. And I want you to pay attention to the order there. Because our view of God will determine how we do everything else that we do as Christians, as a church, and everything else. I hope that this doesn't, this illustration doesn't embarrass anybody. Because I've had a lot of people, as they've uh, dropped by to see the new church building and I'm excited to share uh, with others kind of the vision, the direction that the church is going to go and how we're going to construct things or as the Lord leads. And it's been interesting to me, and that's, this has not just been at this building project, but building projects that I've been involved with in over 27 years of ministry. 
But it's exciting as we go into the building and I can show people, I can say, listen, uh, this is where we're going to set up the auditorium. This is the direction we'll face. And, and then we're going to do this. And so we'll turn the auditorium this way and, and that way. And you know what's interesting to me? Here's what's interesting to me. And again, I don't mean to embarrass anybody if, if you've done this. It's, there's no harm. It's, I'm just trying to illustrate something here that's very real about, about our view of God. And when I get done talking about the auditorium and we were going to worship God, the only question that I ever get asked over 27 years of ministry, it's not just now, is where's the fellowship hall going to be? Where are we going to eat? Again, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I've been asked this numerous times. Nobody has ever, after I got done showing where the auditorium is going to be, how we're going to arrange things as the Lord leads, the question has never been, where are we going to meet before we go out and tell others about Christ? Where are the Sunday school classes going to be? What what room do we or what area do we have set uh, set apart for uh, teaching others, discipleship? I've never been asked those questions. Always the first question is where are we going to eat? Ladies and gentlemen, I sincerely believe that if the Lord Jesus Christ was to walk into our presence right now, the last thing we would think about is eating. I think if the Lord Jesus Christ would come into our presence right now, we would think about our worship. And we would think, boy, I hope that we've been pleasing to God in our worship. I think if the Lord Jesus Christ was to walk and stand in our presence, whether you're here at the building or listening in on the telephone or watching on Facebook Live, if Jesus Christ was to walk in our presence, I think we might be concerned about our worship. Well, I hope I've been pleasing in my worship. I think we'd be concerned about our evangelism. If we are in a room full of people, if the church was full this morning, we were allowed to meet together in person, and the Lord Jesus Christ came in, I don't think that the first thing on our minds would be, where are we going to eat? I think the first thing on our minds would be, I hope that our worship pleases him, and is there somebody here that I can introduce to Christ? We'd be concerned about our evangelism. Not only would we be concerned about our evangelism and our worship, but I think that if Christ were to walk into a, a packed auditorium this morning, uh, that our that, that our concern, the next concern might be, where's that person that I, that I shared Christ with? Where are they? I want to introduce them to the one that saved them. We'd be concerned about our discipleship if Christ came into our presence at this very moment. Now, there's a lot that the Bible says, the Word of God says about dining and eating Certainly, we see in the Gospels how that Jesus, when he was at the home of Simon the leper, sat at meat with them. But who is the one that was noted at the house of Simon the leper? It was the woman who Jesus said she has done what she could, broke open that alabaster box and worshiped God. And by the way, as that oil was broken open, everybody got to enjoy the the aroma, evangelism, and discipleship 
a picture of it. And Jesus commended her for that work. Who was it who, when he went to Bethany to eat at Lazarus and Martha and Mary's house, and Martha was cumbered about with all the details and getting supper ready and making sure everything was just so for them to eat? Remember what Mary was doing? And you remember what the Lord said about Mary? Mary hath chosen the good part. You see, I understand the Bible has much to say about God's people being together and fellowshipping and eating like that. That's not what the word fellowship means, really, but it's the way we view it. Do you know the, the one thing or one of the things that the Apostle Paul had to correct the church of Corinth on was about their fellowship? About their fellowship. If Christ came into our presence today, right, in a packed auditorium, I think we'd be concerned about our worship, we'd be concerned about our evangelism, and we'd be concerned about our discipleship before we ever even thought about eating. There's an order here. We need to get a higher view of God. When we think about constructing this, this place, this run-down <laughs> old building, we need to have a high view of God. And listen, we're not we're not building a we're not renovating a building here so that people can see how rich we are, how 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 beautiful we can make this place. Look, we want this building to represent the God we serve because of our view of God. Remember what I said the second point? Our view of God will determine everything else that we do. When we work on the electrical, we've got to have a high view of God. When we paint the walls, we've got to have a high view of God. When we spray wash the exterior and spray for weeds and cut down weeds with a weed whacker, we've got to have a high view of God so, so that it will determine how we perceive and look at everything else. May God help us to do that. May we as believers uh, give God a good name in this community so that others can have a have a right perspective of God. See God high and lifted up and then see themselves in perspective with God and say, woe is me, for I am a, a soul undone. I need a Savior, Jesus Christ, and can come to faith in Christ and then have a hunger to continue to see a, a high view of God. God high and lifted up and have a desire, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, to know the God of heaven. And not just because the preacher says it from the pulpit or because, because the, the teacher says that's what we ought to do, but because they see how we live our lives in perspective of that high and lifted up God because our vision of God will determine how we view everything else and our vision of God will determine how we do everything else. You see, the clearer our vision of God, the clearer our understanding. Our vision of God determines how we view everything else and how we do everything else. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, also the Lord, sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. How are you viewing God this morning? Maybe you need his help in determining, in determining the answer to that question. 
And so during this invitation time, I invite you down in the deep, dark recesses of your heart, in the courtroom of your soul, give God access and say, God, how am I viewing you? What is my vision of you? Where in my life? How am I viewing life? How am I viewing sin? How am I viewing death? How am I worshiping? How am I evangelizing? How am I discipling others? Everybody in this church ought to be involved in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. I've said that for five or six years, over five years for sure. Who are you discipling? Who are you teaching to observe all things of whatsoever God has commanded us? Who? Who did you share the gospel with this week? Who did you witness to about, about what God is doing in your life? You know, I'm, I'm, the reason why we don't, the reason why we're not involved is because we, have a, we don't have the right vision of God. And we might ask God, how am I viewing you, Lord? What's my vision of you in my life, in my sin? What's my vision of you in death? How am I worshiping? How am I evangelizing? How am I discipling? How am I serving? With what view? Because our view of God will determine how we view everything else and how we do everything else. I'd like for you to take a few moments after we dismiss, and I'd like for you in your heart to get along with God. If there's never been a time in your life when you've trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd like to see, I'd like to have you see the Lord high and lifted up, recognize him for who he is, and place your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone as your only hope of a relationship with God now in time and in eternity in heaven, in his presence. If you're a Christian here today, there's been that time in your life, you, you know that you're saved. I'd like to invite you to spend some quiet time with the Lord. Say, Lord, how am I viewing you? And when God points it out, as God leads you by his Holy Spirit, surrender. Give it to him. Make a determination and a commitment to have a higher view, higher vision of God. Once you do that, after we close in prayer, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We ask your blessing. Lord, help us to view you properly. I pray, Father, that we would see you high and lifted up. And Lord, that you'd help us to get things in perspective. Help us to get the proper perspective on, on life. Help us to get the proper perspective on sin, on death. And there's other things, Father, that we could have listed, but we don't have time to do today. Father, help us to, to have a proper perspective, a proper vision of you and what we do our worship, our evangelism, our discipleship, and our service. God, help us. Change us. Turn us, Lord. Convict us. Comfort us. And help us to realize that we can know you and we can be employed in your service. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for meeting with us this morning. I hope that this message has been a challenge to you as it was to me. Um, uh, please check your emails. I've emailed a couple of times this week, uh, twice to the members. And then if you're friends of Liberty Lake Baptist Church, you probably just received one email. But one of those is a path forward where we're laying out how we're progressing out of this time of 
quarantine as we're going to begin to meet together as a church. Read through that. We'll be covering some of that in, as we go in the services, but also uh, for the for the members of the church, I sent an open letter out to Liberty Lake Baptist Church, just challenging and encouraging us uh, in some of these things that we've sp- spoken of this morning. I hope that today will be a, a point in time in your life when you'll remember that God spoke to your heart and that you made a commitment to have a higher vision of God. The Lord richly bless you. Thank you for being with us today.